まもなくピクセルオブブレックファストに泊まります Hey everyone, and welcome to the Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. It is Thursday, May 20th, 2021. I'm your host, Steve, joined as always by my developer co host, Blue. How you doing, mate? It was a,、uh, I was going to say warm night while I was sleeping. No, that's completely opposite. It was a cool night while I was sleeping, which was very, very nice, and I may have overslept our recording time, but I'm here. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see you.、Uh, it's totally fine. Yeah, the weather for those, you and I have pretty similar weather at the moment, so. Um, we're getting into that rainy hot season.、Um, and、uh, we finally got a cool night last night. So that was pretty, pretty nice. It's very, very nice. Also, we're talking about the weather, which might be an indication for how much news there is. Yeah, there is not much news this week.、Uh, I do think that's a twofold、uh, problem. One being that, you know, COVID has definitely slowed down the development of these bigger games, especially seeing a lot of the bigger ones that were in development have come out now.、Uh, but also, We have this weird E3 still happening, but it's not really an event, but it is. So people are holding back any skerrick of news that they can use for that event, I believe. That's my gut feel here.、Mm. Um, so there isn't a huge amount to talk about. So it'll be a nice short podcast this week. We're going to kick things off with some news coming from Square Enix, who have said that Outriders is its next big franchise.、Uh, and apparently it's reached 3.5 million unique players,、uh, which is pretty. Awesome to hear, actually,、uh, but also a little surprising. So,、uh, for those who don't remember, Outriders is a debut or a new franchise from People Can Fly,、uh, who is the Polish studio behind Bulletstorm, was their you know, big thing, but they also worked on、uh, Gears of War Judgment and a few other games here and there. It launched, it had some middling reviews, it also had some major technical issues that held things up, accounts going AWIRE, all sorts of things. Anyway, after all that, it's managed to hit 3.5 million unique players in its first month, which is pretty surprising. Also, worth noting, it was on Game Pass, so that is also going to help there.、Uh, but Square Enix, who have typically been very, very harsh, particularly on their Western brands, like when I think of Square Enix saying that Tomb Raider was not a success, even though it sold gangbusters, <laughs> and same for the Hitman franchise, for them to come out and say that this is a success and must be doing pretty well behind the scenes. So, People Can Fly have commented on this saying that they're very grateful for the community's support and feedback, and they will continue to listen carefully and that they are committed to improving and enhancing the experience in the coming weeks and months. So, yeah, it sounds like a lot of the issues that were around launch have been ironed out now. So, if you are interested in checking the game out,、uh, it is, as I said, on Game Pass for Xbox. I don't think it is for PC.、Um, there is also demos. That was one thing that this developer, I think, did really well was.、Uh, And yes, I do believe some of this was a slight towards the cyberpunk folks,、uh, but they did a huge statement. I don't know, I think we talked about it, Blue, where they were like, We are releasing a big demo, like an hour long demo that you can play our game and make sure that it is the game that you want it to be and that it fits in with what you're looking for,、um, because they believe that that's the best way to、uh, decide where you're spending your money. So they make a big point of that. Like, I do think they've shown a lot of goodwill with this game. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's good because even in the opening problem patch, I, like, I'm trying to find the right words for it. It was rough, very, very rough from what I could see. I did not、uh, jump in myself, but the underlying sentiment I definitely kept seeing on,、um, 
throughout was that the gameplay is very very solid it's just that all the supporting stuff around it was the problem you know all the complaints were always like connectivity loot um persistence some like corruption of data stuff like that and always with oh it's such a shame because the core gameplay loop is actually quite fun so it kind of does make sense and it's good that like if that is true again i didn't play it that people um have gotten their worth out of it like that that it's made it happen yeah well in this story they uh i can't find it right now but they claim that the average play time is average play times of over 30 hours across that three and a half million unique player base so that's pretty impressive it's worth noting it's not a live service game so it's not like destiny where you can just keep playing forever and ever and ever like it's not throwing new content and raids at you and from what I have heard is that the opening is very rough and the story is very, very ridiculous in, in many different ways. Mm. Um, so I do, I guess what I've heard is a lot of people bounced off at the start, but those who stuck through it hit a point of the game where they're like, oh, wow, this is actually really interesting. But it's one of those things where it takes like, you know, 10 or so hours to hit that point. Um, this is a game I am planning to play through with my family, actually, my sister and my father. Mm. Um, but we just haven't we haven't got around to it. We played the demo and they both enjoyed it. So I was like, well, it's coming to Game Pass and like it's not a horrible game. Like I didn't mind the demo, but it was feeling like the story is not that good. And like what it's just a cover shooter. But it did have interesting elements. So I'm actually pretty keen now that I've heard a lot of people that kind of have similar taste to me be like, oh yeah, it actually gets really good. I'm like, hmm, it's it's interesting. And then to see this with uh like 30 hours average across that many people. Like, that means a lot of people are playing this. There are a lot of hours, which is which is good to hear. It feels like that 30 hours, to me, means that people are playing more than one playthrough. That, that's... Yeah, that is that is potential. I, I'm not exactly sure how long the game is. No, is, but yeah. absolutely not. But that's really cool. I think it's really, really nice when people play uh, a game over to play with their friends. It's also one of those things, right, where... On the one hand, we as players complain, or a lot of people complain that there aren't enough new interesting games coming out. Um, and not saying that Outriders is interesting, like it is a cover shooter, right? Like it's not breaking the mold. But mm. when new franchises come out, you have to support them with your dollars and your playtime. Otherwise, we don't get those big new franchises, right? Like you look at something like Mirror's Edge, and what happens to that? People, people don't jump on it and support it, and it kind of goes down. And then they bring it back because there is a cult fan base, but that that sequel just, was just trash. Yeah, it's just not But enough. the thing is, like, uh, there was a time there in the, the mid-2000s, um, you know, 2010 there, where they were trying to bring new franchises and people just weren't supporting them. And that's kind of gone away. So it's really exciting to see uh, a new franchise come out and people flock to it. And I said, like, a big part of that definitely has to be Game Pass because you it's a no-risk uh, trial essentially right but if we want new franchises we have to support them and that's not to say you have to support a, a crappy one but by all accounts it sounds like that uh, outriders has done pretty well which is exciting yeah on the other side of that coin it's just gonna be well now we have five more outrider sequels coming which is also a problem that this industry has right so you know it's it's a double-edged sword there but that's where we're at. Moving on, EA uh, recently acquired Codemasters. Codemasters, of course, being the experts in driving 
Uh, I wouldn't say simulation, although they have gone down that route before, but they kind of skirt the simulation arcade sort of feel. They uh, are behind the Formula One series, for instance, but they also make the Dirt series. So, you know, uh, but EA acquired them for $1.2 billion, uh, which is quite a lot of money. And the, the reason that we're bringing this up is that EA has come out and said that they want Codemasters to retain their identity like Respawn did, um, which is really interesting. So I'm going to read the quotes and then we can talk about it. So this is Andrew Wilson from EA uh, saying, Similar to Respawn, our orientation isn't to come in and take over Codemasters. Our orientation isn't to come in and turn Codemasters into another EA studio. Our orientation is around the provision of opportunity. This industry is all about amazing creative talent, and we see little upside in the indoctrination of that amazing creative talent but we do want to provide them access to the things that we get by virtue of our position in the industry. Then he goes on to say that EA has an amazing cupboard of IAP and technology with plenty of marketing breadth and depth and reach on a global basis. So effectively, they're handing Codemasters a set of keys to the cupboard. And then they can come and take what they need from the cupboard, but they continue to be who they are because that's what made them special in the first place. I was all on board till he started talking about the cupboard. Like, that's a weird... (laughs) phrasing there but anyway so the ceo of codemasters also kind of backs this up because of course they do because that's how press releases work uh but this is also very very true ea brings scale with its sales and marketing muscles live service expertise state-of-the-art analytic analytics platform ea access ea play and origin um so codemasters has access to every single opportunity I'm not saying that we're going to take everything, and that's why it's fantastic. EA is offering all the services, but not forcing us if it doesn't fit. So it really is the perfect world at this point. And that is why I'm so confident about how much EA can bring to Codemasters, and hopefully vice versa, because they listen and we listen too. This feels like a very direct response to... Uh, the image that EA the has, company, the, the reputation, yeah. <laughs> the reputation they have for acquiring and killing studios, right? Uh-huh. And Respawn, like I want to say, is the first one that they haven't done that with. And look at how successful Respawn has been. Like mm. I constantly forget that Respawn is owned by EA. Respawn yeah. is very much their own thing, and they are made like they're three for three. They haven't made a bad game yet. Like they are just killing it, uh, and. Then you've got, on the other side of the spectrum, you've got, you know, Bioware mm-hmm. that seem to be absolutely struggling, treading water, losing their management, losing their identity, releasing bad games. Uh, you know, I've heard that the, the remaster of Mass Effect is decent, but it's also a remaster. Those games are already great, you know. Um, yeah. You've got Visceral, who I don't think Visceral exists anymore, but the people behind Dead Space, like you have all of these teams that have just completely died, uh, get taken over and just have no soul. So it's very interesting that, I guess EA saw what happened in Respawn. And like, I think Codemasters has been around for long enough that they also are like, well, we know what we're doing. So it's interesting to see EA almost like a, 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 a switch has uh, flipped and they're like, ah, oh, we could just do that. Like we could just, you know, let them be the studio, but make they make the IP for us. Like they take our IP that we can't use anymore and make good games. Wow. Um, I don't know. That's how I feel this, this feels to me anyway. I have so much bad blood with EA that I don't believe a single word that's being said here until I see the results of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fair. That's I, fair enough. I don't know. I have had a lot of... I EA 
is one of these companies that I'm very happy if they would just stop making money. <laughs> I don't tend to like having that sense. I don't like thinking that, but that's very much the way I felt after a lot after a lot in the last 15 years of EA's um, acquisitions history. All the way back to, like, Bioware struggling, gutted, completely not the same studio is one of the better versions of the studios that have gone through EA. Because at least the name still exists. At least the IPs are still being touched. You know, Westwood is actually what I think of when I think of, like, lost opportunities with EA. The Red Alert series. Yeah, you've got Westwood and you've got, like, uh, Bullfrog as well. Like, I think EA bought Bullfrog, right? Yeah. Yeah, they've got an elephant graveyard of these legendary studios and IP that... Yeah, and, and it's such a shame because my stance, personally, when it has come to IPs that EA have collected and discarded is... It's best if we just let those IPs die and I'm happy that they never touch them again because they would only make bad versions of those games and they don't have the same spirit. Any- you know, like it's always like kind of this negative spiral when I think of EA. So all that to say, I hope that this is a genuine place that this is coming from uh, in terms of the statement that EA and Codemasters are making. The fact that there are separate statements is a good sign. Um, but this cupboard analogy, this this is exactly part of the problem, right? The the reason yeah. <laughs> it's phrased in such a way is because the the very notorious frostbite engine, is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah. That thing, that monstrosity of a very competent uh first person shooter engine that was crammed into um mass effect for its uh sorry not mass effect uh maybe maybe mass effect and then dragon age uh to become an rpg uh into a command and conquer game at some point you know to be an rts and and i'm pretty sure need for speed as well was uh converted to frostbite at at some point yeah and yep Basically, just a lot of yup. Um, it doesn't make sense to force the same kind of thing onto Codemasters because one of the things you would buy from Codemasters is their amazing expertise at doing what they're doing. However, logic, from the consumer point of view, logic hasn't been something that is EA management's strong point. Mm-hmm. Electronic Arts as a company for the past 15 plus years, have felt like a company run by shareholders and investors rather than a company run by developers. So we'll see yeah, I would agree with that. if time will show that they're right here. <laughs> That's the best I got, yeah. Yeah, the interesting thing, and I don't know this, is does Codemasters retain the F1 IP? Mm. And does that come with them to EA? Because... $1.2 billion is a lot of coin to put yep. down for a studio. So, uh, you know, if they are, let's, let's think about this, right? Like they're probably going to work on need for speed. Like that would make sense that if they've got the F1 license and that's going to bring in a lot of cash for them still. Uh, so that's two games. 
do they have the rights to Dirt and Colin McRae? Like, do they just bring all of their existing IP along with them? I don't know what those deals are, right? Yeah. Um. So maybe, maybe it is just a case of, well, we get all those franchises which are profitable, which, you know, pays for this acquisition. But, mm. uh, you know, we get them uh, working on Need for Speed games. Um, we get them offering support on something else that we don't, maybe Burnout. Does, doesn't EA own Burnout? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, was, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we get a new paradise. Like, who knows? Like, there, there is interesting possibilities that you would want to buy this outside of just churning out games through them. Yep. It could be their mentoring. Like, I think Black Box were behind the, the Burnout Paradise remasters a few years ago, which usually when you get a remasters, everyone feels, and a lot of people feel that, like, a remaster or a HD update is, like, to c- cash in on nostalgia. And sometimes that's true. More often than not, I think it's a test market for a new entry in that franchise. And I 100% feel that that's what Burnout Paradise was because mm. Burnout Paradise is a pretty decent looking game already. Um, it was working fine on, you know, backwards compatibility, totally fine. Uh, so for them to bring out a HD remaster of a game at the time that they did, I was like, hmm, they want to see if people want to buy this. They want to see if people have nostalgia and attachment to this franchise. Yeah. And they want to see how many new people buy into this idea. Um, and you know, we're seeing that a lot happen a lot now, obviously, you know, like Blizzard's, uh, HD remaster that just came out collection. Like that's not to see if people want a new Blackthorn. Like that is nostalgia. That is preservation, right? There is a difference there. Um, yeah, but we saw it with Crash Bandicoot. There hadn't been a new Crash Bandicoot game for years. They released a HD remaster. It sounds like gangbusters. And what do you know? We got a new Crash Bandicoot, right? So, and then Spiral um, and then, wait, which came first? I don't remember anyone. Uh, I think Crash, but it could have been Spyro. I'm eh, not sure. Who knows? But basically, yeah, that the the resurgence of the '90s 3D platformer is very big part of like one person tried it and then it worked. Yeah, so I do think that there is potential for Codemasters to be working on some of these franchises that EA have that you know because I feel like the Need for Speed series has just kind of been existing and not doing anything special for quite some time. No. Um. So I would I would put money on that. That's gonna be their first big project. Not a dig at Criterion. I actually think that Need for Speed. No, is absolutely not. Very competent. Criterion are a fantastic studio. Yeah. Um, and I will say, uh, I have no attachment to any Codemasters IP, especially not the more realistic side of things with F one or Colin McRae. But I enjoyed Grid. Grid was very competent. Yep, Grid is cool. But what I really want to see, what I really want to see, is a new Micro Machines. That's what I want. That Codemasters, is bring so it back. Micro Machines V3. Yeah, that'd be cool. Oh, that'd be Micro cool. Machines V3 for the PlayStation 1 is just mwah, delicious. I loved it. Yeah. Would love it. I would love a re- Make a HD remaster of that. Test the market. In I'll fact, buy it for sure. Take your time and then coincide a V6 release with the PlayStation 6. Ooh, ooh, tasty. But that's assuming there's going to be a PlayStation 6. That's true. Which I think that's debatable. It is, um, yeah. I think I've told this story before, but I attribute my entry into the games industry very much so with Micro Machines too. Um, oh, to the so, to the advertisement where the dude, the Micro Machines guy, is just talking very quickly, and then you were like, "Yeah, I want to be in an industry where I can talk very quickly," and then you came into the games industry. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know the advertisement you're talking about, but oh, okay. um, so I don't know uh, what in Australia. 
they have like these book fair things, right? Which would happen like once a quarter and there'd be like big tables of books that you could buy. And I think it was Scholastic ran it. And there was like a little catalog thing that you would like tick the boxes of things you wanted to buy, right? And then they would send it to you after the book fair. And uh, they occasionally had video games and they were always very educational video games. But for some reason, Micro Machines 2 for PC was there. And so I like, I'm getting books because, you know, mum's like, get some books. So I do that. And then I tick micro machines and didn't tell my mum that I got <laughs> micro machines. And she was not very happy. But uh, I had micro machines too. And I used to spend uh, like whole days making elaborate tracks because I had a track editor, which this was kind of my first game that had, a, or that I knew had some sort of editing system in it. Uh, and I would spend it days upon days of making tracks and, also, like, I remember my dad used to have Scalelectric's uh, slot cars and it had a map of Bathurst and I, like, tried to recreate Bathurst in Micro Machines as best as I could without, like, terrain controls. Um, mm. And I had a next-door neighbour. Like, I lived out in the far- on a farm in the middle of nowhere. So it was, like, a 10-minute bike ride to his house and I'd ride to his house, like, you got to come test this track and then he'd come over and try and beat it. And, like, mm. my entire thing was designing tracks that he couldn't beat. and that's when it kind of clicked for me of like making games is cool. Mm. This is, this is rad. And this is like, I can do this. Like before that, it was always just reading about games and magazines. It's like a six year old kid. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I do think micro machines in a weird way really ticked that in my brain that. So you took the modding way in. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you know, that I was the number one, uh, micro machines two modder in rural Victoria. Like I'm pretty <laughs> sure I could say that. Awesome. <laughs> And to be clear, you're talking about the video game. Yes, yes, yeah. the video game. Because Micro Machines, so again, when we talk about like IP and whether it comes with them, is a, is a physical toy. Yeah, they're the little tiny toys, which then they also did um, like Star Wars playsets and stuff, which yeah. I had a bunch of those. So um, Codemasters yeah. may not, with, with how long they haven't touched it. It, the, the IP might still just be with Hasbro. Look, I am going to just do a live Google. When was the last Micro Machines game? Micro Machines video games. Let's have a quick little gander. This is fantastic podcast content. I love it. Uh, so the last game was in 2017. Okay. Micro Machines World Series. By? Uh, so it is a racing video game developed and published by Codemasters. Okay. They still, they, they're the still working the Xbox One. Xbox One, really? It, it received mixed or average reviews. Yeah, I don't think... Partially due to its lack of career mode and spotty online multiplayer. Talking about uh, cash grabs, oh. that's what that sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that was quite a tangent. So we'll see, we'll basically, see. is where we land on what happens with Codemasters, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're going to move on to Ubisoft's... Um, so last week we talked about Ubisoft making an announcement that they... Uh, you know, investing heavily into making free-to-play versions of franchises that they have. Um, And we knew that the Division Heartland was one of those things. And now uh, there's been 20 minutes or over 20 minutes of uh, gameplay leaked from the Division Heartland, um, as well as a video from Ubisoft that warns closed (laughs) uh, test players not to leak the game. So that's great. Yeah. So this is a uh, the Division Heartland. It's a standalone free-to-play game that's coming to PC, PlayStation, and Xbox uh, this year or next year. Like, that's unclear at the moment. And it's being developed by the Ghost Recon studio with Red Storm Entertainment. Um, 
Anyway, someone leaked who's in part of this test. It's an invite-only test uh, leaked the video on Vimeo and includes a video greeting from uh, the lead game designer, Taylor Eppley. And uh, Eppley describes Heartland as an open-world survival action shooter. It's set in a small American town called Silver Creek, and there's a co-op PvE mode called Expedition and a 45-player PvEVP mode called Storm, which sounds a lot like Scavengers, which is the free-to-play battle royale that I we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And there's a video on uh, the YouTube if you want to check it out. But anyway. This is, so this is all new information, right? This is all new information. All we knew before was the name and that it was coming. Yep. And yep. that it was free to play. That's all we knew. Yeah. Um, so both of these modes see players scavenging, exploring, looting, fighting, and surviving, all while avoiding the most aggressive and unpredictable virus contamination the Division has ever seen. And in this video where he's describing what's in the game, he goes on to remind people that they are under NDA, avoid sharing any information, including what you see in the, te- in the tech test. The team will be monitoring the web for leaks throughout the test. Please don't be the one who ruins the surprise for the larger division community. Well, that's what happens when you trust people on the internet, isn't it? Uh, But yeah, so it sounds pretty interesting. It sounds like a good fit for that franchise. Uh, I actually really like the division. Um, I think like it did have problems and all of the fake team banter trailers were horrible, but the... The idea of walking around New York City after a pandemic, before a pandemic happened, was really like, oh, that's kind of cool and novel and scary. Mm. Um, And, you know, like the looter, shooter, third person, like if you were playing on a harder difficulty, you actually did have to plan out your attacks. So that was super cool. Yep. Um, It was just kind of like that Destiny vibe of you could talk shit with your friends, but still have a challenging time. Mm. And what I played of the sequel, that was like even better. Like it just had a a really awesome feel. You're in DC, um, Mm. you know, graphically it was really amazing. They uh, added a lot more, uh, you know, quests that were more interesting and stuff like that. So like, it felt like it was on a really good, you know, track to keep going. Um, I don't have a, I I always play these games with friends and I don't really have anyone to play uh, the division two with. So if anyone in that community wants to play, let me know. Um, So yeah, it sounds like this is a good step forward for that game. Like it fits a free to play model really well. Um, because there's so much loot and fashion and all that stuff. Yep. Um, and the PvEVP mode definitely like that to me sounds exactly like scavengers. Um, because the division had, I think it was called blackout mode or the dark zone rather something like that where you jump in and you're finding loot, but other players are in there too, and they can kill you and take your thing and you get get out on a chopper. Right. So it already had a bit of this. Um, so creating like this sort of. Uh, thing where there are storms, I'm assuming, which is going to be, I guess, a tornado of uh, pandemic coming your way. Um, you know, it makes sense. It sounds really cool. Like I'd definitely uh, check it out at the very least. But yeah, I don't know. <sighs> like I get that companies want to like keep things under wraps, but like I feel like this is just this is getting me excited. And for anyone who's like a super division fan, like this is probably just like, oh my god, I really want to play this now. Like this doesn't hurt them. This doesn't hurt them unless people come out and say that it's absolute trash. Yeah, there is hundred percent a world where this is a it's a small chance, mind you, but there is a chance this is a staged leak. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean we've seen that happen. Yep. Usually, staged leaks don't include videos of the people saying "Don't leak this," though. So that's why I think it's probably not. <laughs> yeah, but you never know. Division is one of those series that tries to be a bit aware 
of the narrative around the game. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, that it's coming. That's what we know. Not my two cents. Uh, Division mm-hmm. One tried to market itself as this amazingly dynamic game. Um, it's not that. It's a it's a very competent shooter, mm-hmm. but it's it's not crazy dynamic. So yeah, uh, they've abandoned that narrative. They've never tried to market in that angle again. <laughs> good, mm-hmm. good. Uh, and I think that the underlying solid like gunplay gameplay um, will only be supported moving forward. Yeah, I mean. I think you're right. Like that first game, they really tried to sell the the idea of being in a team and planning things because the AI is so reactive and, as you said, dynamic, and it absolutely wasn't. But the game was really good. It was just because yeah. they tried to sell it as something it wasn't. And I think they yeah. did a good job of that second game not doing that. Yes, the second game had no overtones of, like... Do you remember some of the early... Like, they released, like, 40-minute gameplay trailers... Where yeah. it's one dude walking down the street, and then like, you know, one of those trailers where they recognize that you're a play, you're a player playing a video game, no, no, like mm-hmm. in-game role play, and they were just like, yeah, let me just grab my iPad and do this thing where I drive the drone over the thing to look at the. It was very interesting. I'm holding. Yeah. I'm, I have my um my my face in my hands right now of just like. Don't don't try to sell a game <laughs> what it's not and throw your developers under the bus because that's what that felt yeah. like. Yeah, but I will say, um, you know, despite that, The Division was definitely one of those uh, games in that era where Ubisoft really flexed their ability to make live service games uh, mm. because they released a ton of free content for that game and kept supporting it for like a year or two after its release. Where most games almost, had abandoned that, right? Almost no downtime between Division 1 and 2. Yeah, which is amazing. And then even when the Division 2 came out, I'm pretty sure they did release like some smaller content for the Division 1. Yeah. Um, you know, between that and Rainbow Six uh, Siege, which we've talked about numerous times, like I think that is the gold standard, uh, that and Final Fantasy XIV, of turning a game around. And mm. um, in terms of uh, Rainbow Six specifically, changing how the game's played for the better. Um, but, you know, we, we also saw them do this with Ghost Recon when they released that Predator uh, content, like, years after that game came out, which was phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, I, I think them flexing all of those muscles, and even though they're different games, they're all military-style shooters, in a constantly updating free-to-play game makes a ton of sense, and that's super exciting to see them go into that space. You you mentioned Final Fantasy fourteen, and I know we said this was going to be a mm-hmm. short podcast, but we've already like gone on tangents <laughs> like three times. But I want to go on yeah, a tangent yeah, yeah. that will end in a a point to make, right? Um, okay, sure. So you have the floor. Final Fantasy fourteen's upcoming expansion is Endwalkers, and um, that's brought up. And the, there was a recent Final Fantasy fourteen like massive in game festival possibly real life festival where they had like developers and a stage and you know that kind of like staged festival experience thing right um which brought up some old discourse on final fantasy 14 and a really like on the surface level just weird but also kind of cool when you think about it um sentiment came up along my twitter feed and it was just like a couple of screenshots of i I don't remember i think it was reddit 
where it was this was around the time before Shadowbringers came out, the um and not one of the big Final Fantasy uh prior expansions. And it was a couple of, of sentiments of going like, does anyone find themselves the sentiment being, does anyone find themselves behaving a bit more safely in real life because they know Shadowbringers is coming out? And then the example they gave was, I found myself when driving to work the other day, like being extra aware and careful about what was happening on the road because I was uh, conscious of the fact that Endbringers was coming out. That's a crazy sentiment. And someone like backed them up as well. <laughs> like they were like, yeah, I, I'm like super careful going downstairs now because, and then they mentioned the name of a person in game is counting on me. And I'm like, that's wild. That's so crazy. <laughs> and that's really, really cool. But that's a bizarre, yeah, that's yeah. such a like bizarre take, right? Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, how much vitriol was around that original launch to then have people saying that is pretty great. Like, I don't want to die because if I die, I will not be able to play... Uh, <laughs> uh, crap, what the hell? Uh, Shadowbringers. <laughs> um, yeah. Weird, but... The, so the point I'm trying to get to is that um, I know in the case of Final Fantasy XIV, it, it's more of just this ongoing and forever MMO. But um, what a possible end goal for service games that kind of makes sense in my head is where you support it as a service game with you know some kind of monetary pose in um, with like season passes and stuff like that. Until you get to mm-hmm. the next title. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I don't think is in people's mindset. A lot of people still think of service games as forever enterprises, um, including developers. But mm-hmm. I hope that, I think that that would be an, in the long run, a much more healthy uh, relationship between games and players where it's not a service game forever, uh, it's a service game until we can give you the next best version of this game right mm-hmm. uh, yeah f- fingers yeah. crossed that's, I think so. that's where we get to Bec- and here's one of the reasons it's not healthy for the developer to have a forever service game um, mm-hmm. a service game is patched over a-, a service game is effectively we are putting new um, bells and whistles onto this ship uh, mm-hmm. And there's a there's there's a point for this analogy, and eventually there are going to be so many bells and whistles that the ship's going to start sinking, <laughs> because it's just not going to be yeah, yeah, been yeah. designed to carry all that weight. You know, a game is yeah. not designed to carry the end. Uh, you know, three years down the line, service content that you're you're making for it. That's just not how it works. Yeah. So it it's good for developers to be able to take a step back and say, let's make this game again from scratch. But now, build in the capabilities to do all the things you want to do with this and make it just better. Yeah, that's the thing too, right? Like you get further down that road and you want to do cooler, different stuff, but you're held back by the limitations of how the game is made and how it's all duct taped together, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's the reality of it. And there are exceptions to this and there are ways that you can do this that make sense. For example, um, Fortnite. I'm pretty sure Fortnite has been rewritten from the ground up more than once at this point. Right? Yeah. So you can quietly do it. I, I don't know this for sure. I have no industry insight. I have no like ties into that company to know that they've done it. But 
I would not be surprised if Fortnite is run by Epic, the people who own <laughs> Unreal Engine, the best engineers for the Unreal Engine in the world probably work for them. Um, yeah. So there are exceptions. You know, sometimes you don't have to duct tape something together. Sometimes you can just build new components of your game or rebuild new components for your game from the ground up. And, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but for a lot of games, they, they start to get hampered down by how much the engine for the existing game can do. And yeah, I, I hope that the end goal that we get towards is, yeah, you get service games to keep your interest in a title and a game. And so that there isn't a like three to four year gap between titles. And then mm-hmm. you just launch the next one, like Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter Ice, um, yeah, Monster Hunter World Iceborne. And Monster Hunter Rise has a downtime of like eight months or something like that between its last update for Iceborne mm-hmm. and, and like Rise releasing. Uh, possibly mm-hmm. less. So that's the kind of yeah, yeah space that I hope we get to. Yeah, for sure. So this is just a super, super quick one. Uh, Hades, a PS4 rating has been spotted. Uh, so, you know, the award-winning fantastic game from Supergiant Games is currently out on PC and Nintendo Switch. Yeah. It is not out on PlayStation or Xbox. They haven't made an announcement that it's coming to more platforms, but now that we've seen a rating, we know that it's coming to the PS4. Mm. And then we would imagine that there would be an Xbox release coming after that. I would imagine a PS5 release is possible as well. Yeah, well, I mean... Possible. I'm not saying likely. Yeah. The the thing with Supergiant is because they're so small, it would make sense to me that they would just make a PS4 because it can be played on PS5, right? Um, Rather than... Trying to trying to mm, you know up res sure. everything and making a PS5 exclusive yeah, version for you know ten people with consoles right. Hey, it's the nice thing when all your PlayStations are the same architecture. You know, we don't have to be like this one's yeah. the Emotion Engine. This one's the Cell architecture. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So yeah, um, so that's you know no dates or anything, but it's coming and that's exciting. Especially if you haven't played Hades and you've only got a PlayStation, uh, it'll be a chance to play it. So the next one is Take Two uh, has uh, talked about all of their, you know, their five-year plan, basically. Uh, They've said that it plans to, they plan to release 62 games through its 2024 fiscal year. Um, And that'll be ranging from immersive core games to independence uh, because they have Private Division, which is kind of like an indie publishing premiere label kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But as part of this information, uh, 2K will also introduce two new releases from new franchises this year, including one from Gearbox, uh, is what was said during the earnings call. You know, nothing else was said. You said 2K. At all. Yes, specifically? 2K. Okay, cool. Just, just double checking. Yeah, just double checking uh, specifically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So take two owners of 2K, 2K will introduce two new releases from, uh, fran- new franchises. Uh, yep. and then Pitchford, uh, gotcha. Pitchford just tweeted, hmm. Uh, on twitter and then someone uh was like said to him this quickly uh because you know borderlands 3 came out two years ago now i think it was one year ago i don't know time is weird at the moment um yeah but yeah they're like this quickly he's like by quickly you mean years of work um and that's one thing to remember here that just because a game came out like a company like gearbox is big so they would have a core team working on the new thing while the other things being finished right um so that's just a perception yep. thing for sure. Uh, but this is interesting specifically because uh, Gearbox was purchased by the Embracer Group uh, just this year, I think it was, yep. or it was the end of last year. 
Um, but Take-Two still uh, run all the publishing for their games, apparently, or at least just the Borderland franchise. Um, but I guess they're running whatever this is, so that indicates that it was probably started to be worked on and signed before that uh, acquisition happened. So, you know, not much to come out of here except Gearbox are making games, and hopefully it's better than Borderlands. PC Gamer reports on some of the breakdown for, like, what the 62 mm-hmm. is going to look like. And um, the, as you get further on in the list, they make some very funny... Share, like, share with us. Uh, um, so, and at the top of the 2023-2024 one, um, they're like, Grand Theft Auto 6, brackets, look, it's possible. <laughs> Number two, Borderlands, the movie, the game, or some other <laughs> spin-off. <laughs> Jump down a few things. Um, Civilization 7, surprise, it's an FTP service <laughs> game now. Oh my now. god. Duke Nukem gets cancelled. <laughs> like, yeah, because we just don't know. There's so many IPs in that family. And not not like the most expansive we've ever seen, but there's a lot that they could be pulling from. 62 is a yeah. very big number, though. It, it's at the point where you have to start just making yeah, wild absolutely. guesses. Um, and, and the unfortunate reality is that majority of them will not be original IPs because those take a lot longer and are a lot yeah. higher for risk. So chances are we're going to be seeing a lot of returning stuff. So if you are a fan of anything that take two that, that's in the Take Two catalog, it's a good time to pay attention mm. and like hold your breath. For sure. Um, now we are going to touch on something here. Uh, Blue and I discussed it before, and I was like, oh, I don't know, but we're going to talk about this real quick. Um, so we are going to preface sure. this uh, with uh, I don't know much about the uh, the situation in between Palestine and Israel. Uh, like I know a lot more now than I did, um, but not an expert, definitely not coming from a place of authority at all. Would you say you're about the same there, Blue? Uh, yeah. It, about the same might be an understatement, yeah. okay. but let's say so, yes. So um, I would direct everyone who wants to learn more about this to listen to the Waypoint podcast. It is the uh, games division of Vice. It's a fantastic podcast. You should listen to it anyway but they do a fantastic breakdown in their latest episode. Uh, so go check that out. And I'm reading directly from uh, Waypoint's article here, which is written by the excellent Patrick Klepek. Uh So basically what has happened is, uh, obviously there is the situation right now uh, in Palestine with the Israeli forces, the IDF coming through. A lot of tragedy and, and human lives are taken and, you know, all of that stuff that's been happening for a long time too. Let's be, be honest about that. Uh, so IGN uh, did a post last Friday, uh, US time. Uh, they did a post about how to help Palestinian civilians. Uh, the article noted that Palestini- Palestinian civilians are currently suffering in great numbers in Jerusalem, Gaza and the West Bank due to Israeli forces. Uh, it was a very short post, and it had a link to a bunch of of charities, very broad charities like Doctors Without Borders and stuff like that. Not controversial charities at all, you know, just humanitarian efforts. Um, but things started going a little uh, haywire there because people took issue with the direct callout of due to Israeli forces, like putting a blame on on them. And saying that, you know, this is wrong, essentially, is the subtext of that, correct? Uh, So then Mm -hmm. that article has been deleted, along with any tweets uh, going with it. uh, And apparently that's come down from upper management. Uh, And then there was a... um, 
there was a statement, an open letter letter. that came. And apparently since then, this has been said, it was from uh, management. Across IGN, our hearts are heavy as we follow the events in Israel, Palestine, and across the region. Our first thought is always for the broader IGN community, our employees, readers, and partners, and our hopes for their safety and well-being. Yeah. We have a track record of supporting humanitarian efforts and charities across the globe. In the instance of our recent post regarding how to help civilians in the Israel-Palestinian conflict, our philanthropic, philanthropic, sorry, that's a hard word for me to say, (laughs) our philanthropic instincts to help Uh those in need was not in line with our intent of trying to show support for all people impacted by tragic events. By highlighting only one population, the post mistakenly left the impression that we are politically aligned with one side. That was not our intention, and we sincerely regret the error. We do intend to continue to use our platforms and resources to aid those civilian lives impacted across the entire area. As part of this effort, we have made a donation of 25000 to Save the Children, an organization that, supports, that works to support children everywhere and provide emergency aid in natural disasters, war, and other conflicts. Thank you for your support and for always engaging with us. Our community is a huge part of what makes IGN special. We will continue to follow global events and look for ways to lend our support in productive, helpful ways. Since then, the staff has kind of come out and said, that's, we don't, we don't abide by that. Like you were silencing our editors. Um, You were, you were, you know, the, there is a big editorial divide between, you know, the business side of things and journalists, because that's how you, you know, you get things done. And then uh, basically that is all exploded from there people not happy both at IGN and other people in the know are not happy that this happened people following journalism are not happy that this happened uh and they've actually launched a uh an open letter signed by 70 of the publication's journalists and staff have condemned the blatant disregard for the most basic standards of journalistic integrity and editorial independence and has called for the site's owners the US media conglomerate Ziff Davis to explain who made the decision to remove the charity appeal um I don't really have anything more to say because I think that the, as I said, the Waypoint podcast really does uh, a fantastic job of explaining what happened here, but also the actual situation uh, between Jerusalem and and Palestine. Um, And uh, I think Blue, you said it, said it right when I, my reason for not wanting to say anything about this really was just because, you know, I don't know enough about it. We're not an expert about it. Uh, but Blue said it's important, and, and I agree with you, Blue, that, uh, you know, to, to lend a voice to things that, you know, are going wrong, <laughs> that, that, that are not right, or we feel to not be right. And this is definitely not right. Uh, especially, like, uh, yes, yeah, another no. Another thing that's been going through the industry is, um, as in, like, the games industry specifically, is this undertone from a lot of vocal people in the industry of, if you don't at least acknowledge that this is happening, yeah. you are complicit. Uh, and this isn't just for the industry, but like a lot of people in the industry have felt it particularly, the silence particularly deafening this uh, past mm-hmm. two weeks since the latest um, incidents is such a like downplayed word, but let's just yeah. go with that for now. Um, Cause it's yeah, a lot yeah, more yeah. than that. Right. Um, so that, that's just why it's been particularly on my mind. It's not like we have a huge platform, but there does come a point where a lot of news, we like to think that we live in a like globalized world. We're not no. there yet. <laughs> we're like, and, and, and it's cases like this that really highlight how we're not there yet. 
and yeah, it's just like no one is talking about it in the right way, or no one was talking about it in the right way mm-hmm. two weeks mm-hmm. ago, right? So, uh, part of the big push for more discourse about it means that you're going to start hearing about it from places that effectively should have nothing to do with it, like a podcast where two people who have no knowledge yeah, about the like, region are talking around this, yeah, this like, topic, right? You're so. Malaysian and I'm Australian, right? And you know, I don't, I don't know much about that uh, area. I, I barely know much about the country you're from, right? Um, and anything yeah. uh, like this, like we were talking about last week um, with the situation at City Project Red and the um, director that stepped down, right? Like, yep. uh, it is important yep. to educate, right? Like, people can be wrong. Um, it's important to ask questions and educate rather than instantly blame and lambast. Um, and I'm not saying that's what's going on here, but it is important wagons. even if we don't know. Like, yeah. we're saying we don't know. But this is how we see things. And uh, we're going to give you some resources. So I'm going to link the uh, email from the IGN employees, the open email for them, and signed by the 70-odd people. And we're also, I'll link it uh, to the Waypoint Mm. podcast. But also do your research, right? Because a big part of what we see in the world, and this was totally prevalent with any coverage around the American election recently, you're mostly going to hear, like, if you're just passively taking this stuff in, you're mostly going to hear the extreme sides, the extreme, like the extreme left and the extreme right. And it creates this thing of this is horrible or this is fantastic. And there's what's the middle ground? Because that's actually probably where the truth is at. So and it's important to understand both sides Mm. of the argument for sure. So also, if you are interested in learning about this stuff and before you start educating other people about what you have found, make sure that you have done some due diligence make sure that you have looked into uh your sources looked into both sides of the argument so you can also understand the context for one side versus the other right because anything in life nothing's black and white yeah and if i can put our spin on this to bring it a bit Mm -hmm. abstracted a bit further uh there's a lot of news out there that we just don't get because it's not in our yeah scope do you ever have like days or weeks where you just wonder to yourself, I wonder what hap- I wonder what happens between Russia and yeah. China? <laughs> because I you know, I I think of those two countries as like extremely closed mm-hmm. off uh, media wise. And they're two of the biggest countries yeah. in the world. Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy. And like I definitely think since the pandemic started, I have like I used to keep up like fairly up with news and stuff, and like I actively avoid it <laughs> because it's nothing but bit a shit show out there right now um and that does play in your mind for sure even when we started this show like one of the things that i said is like i want this to be like a good vibe uh you know about the games and then nearly mm-hmm. every episode like i think it's part of uh what we talked about being complicit by not saying anything we have covered like issues that we've seen come up with studios and people at studios and stuff like that so um but once again, yeah. always under the thing, we are not experts at anything, <laughs> right? No. But especially this stuff. And also, we aren't at those studios. We don't see what happens behind closed doors. Um, and that's not an excuse of people's behavior, like the thing we were talking about yesterday, uh, last week. Like, uh, we were not defending this person of like, oh, maybe the company's like management thing is the reason why they were like that. Like, they still acted that way. That's horrible. But it is important to yep. look at the bigger picture. This keeps happening 
in many different places. It's not one studio, it's happening at many studios. So is there something across the industry that causes this stuff? But that's not related to this uh, topic that we're talking about now. Well, basically what I'm saying is do your research. If you want to yeah. know about this stuff, do your research. Uh, so, yeah, I will link these articles in the description of the show uh, that I think you should check out. Uh, and then if you want to learn more and if you want to help and all that stuff, uh, yeah, do, do a bit more research and uh, share it with us even in our Discord. It would be interesting to get some discourse around this stuff. Okay, let's do the impossible pivot from that to stuff we played this week. Um, which hasn't been much, uh, honestly. Um, I, ho- I hope you pick a good game to start us off with, because that's going to be a pivot. Um, work's super busy at the moment. I've just been playing more Apex Legends. Um, yeah, Apex has, Legends, yeah. uh, I talked about the Arenas mode uh, last week, and I still continue to enjoy it. Um, it's really, really interesting. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm getting used to Legends that I've never played before. Yeah. And I'm slowly moving up that Battle Pass, because I did buy that Battle Pass. Um, League of Legends Wild Rift, I am still playing that uh, almost daily, just getting one or two games in, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, but the game that I played that Blue, you joined me for, uh, was Before We Leave. Uh, this is an indie game from Balancing Monkey Games. I think that is the name of the studio. I, I also messed it up yep. on the stream, so if any of them are listening to this, I am sorry. Or did you? Um, it's, been a, it's been a week. Yes, Balancing Monkey Games. Uh, So Before We Leave is a non-combative city builder type game. Um, Like, uh, I'm actually going to pull it up on Steam because their description is a little strange, but in a good way. Um, Yeah, good strange. strange. Once again, I am doing live Googling, so sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to fill the silence uh, where you get the people who are smart writing about their games as opposed to someone who played yeah. it for two hours. Before We Leave is a non-violent city-building game set in a cozy corner of the universe. Nurture your peeps and their surroundings while rebuilding and rediscovering civilization. Settle new lands and planets while avoiding hungry space whales. Um, yeah, so that's the official description. It is a... I would call it like a... It's set up like a Civ game, so it's hex-based. Um, and you're building, it's yep. like Civ meets like SimCity, uh, kind of thing where you're, you're building, um, like your town. Yeah. It's a lot more simplified. It's not as yeah, it's city sprawling expansion. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's a very slow paced game. Uh, there's no threat of, and that's the thing that I kept coming back to while we were playing it is there's no threat of death or destruction from enemies. Right. Um, I don't play a lot of these games. And the reason I don't play a lot of these games is it's big brain. Like you need big brain and I don't have big brain. Um, And it's like a lot of reading about how synergies between buildings work, how, what units do, what this does, upgrade trees upon upgrade trees, priority chains to make things like that's the number one priority and, and all of this stuff. And that is completely overwhelming to me. Like I am not good at that stuff. The big reason I'm not good at that stuff is in most games that have these things, I'm getting attacked every 10 minutes, right? So I need to, like, defend things and put my attention to that. And then I, yeah, it's just very confusing for me. And even though I was super tired and streaming, I really appreciated that I didn't have to worry about that. So if I wanted to take 10 minutes to just put some buildings down and see how they worked, I could do that. And there's no real penalty to that. Um, 
but basically we played two hours of the tutorial uh world i don't know if it's the start of a new world i'll find that out on the weekend because i'm gonna i'm actually gonna do a review with this i wasn't going to uh, but i'm going to because i really enjoyed what we played um but basically you start cool. off in like a village you your your peeps as they're called come up from a bomb shelter after a catastrophe and you start building out like weird little hut things like i wouldn't say it's caveman style it's like more advanced than that but it is very early man style um and then you are like slow you build a library and you build um you know uh farms and and factories and warehouses and iron smelters and all of that stuff um and you slowly uh harvesting all of the resources around you and then you get to a point where you need to like the tutorials taking you through, like you need to get these resources and build these things and teaching you about that stuff. And I think it does a really good job with that. I think it's very well designed, especially as someone who doesn't play these games. Um, Like during that video, there's a moment where it's like, you have to do this and it doesn't explain how to do that thing. But just because it had been teaching me things along the way, I worked it out and I felt really smart. And I, I love games that do that. Anyway, it got to the point where we had to get stone and it's like you have to set up a quarry next to a mountain. And yeah. the mount, like, we were like, where are the mountains? Like, what are they talking about? Are they just these these hexes that are these stone things? Is that a mountain? No, that's not a mountain. The mountains are the husks of apartment buildings. These giant, like, stone metal apartment buildings are called mountains, which yep. is super weird. And then there are these, like, um, they're called rusting hulks, I think, but they're like these giant automaton robots yeah. that are just rusted and covered in moss and stuff. Um, they have ancient like uh, technology in them and you're slowly like getting these resources and then you eventually build a boat and then you can sail around the world. And that's like in this 3d space, which is really beautiful. And the tiles pop up like you're putting, like it's like a board game. It feels really awesome. And then mm-hmm. you get to a new land and you find a different uh, research source and then you're combining those to build new items and schools and you're slowly moving up. And then we don't know how far this goes, but the more industrial buildings that we were building, they look evil. They have this sinister vibe to them where everything else doesn't. And I kind of feel like the message of this game is like, because pollution is a big thing. As you start building like power generators, pollution will make your citizens unhappy. Your citizens want to be near nature. And that pollution spreads across the world. Like you can see it spreading and there's like heat maps of pollution and stuff like that. And it definitely has an agenda. Like I'm, I'm willing to go on record saying it has an agenda of environmentalism and, and consumerism Mm -hmm. is bad uh, because I feel like it gets to the point where you consume all the resources on your planet and you have to fly to a new one Um, is kind of where it's heading. I think, I don't know. Do you have thoughts around this blue? I think that, um, I, I thought that it was getting to a point where the planets will be somewhat self-sustaining. So some resources will mm-hmm. run out just because you do have, uh, one of the things you can automate in this game are trade lanes, shipping, shipping lanes, uh, and eventually space lanes for shipping as well. Yeah. Which means that some planets will produce one resource and other planets True. will produce another. So, so, sure. so to describe how that works, like for instance, on Island one of our planet, we had stone and tools. Like we had a thing that was building tools and food and then mm. the second island we found was a desert island so it actually had a different climate so it could only grow things in certain tiles and people got tired easily because it was hot so we needed to develop clothing and on island one it was the uh like technology research thing was a green resource right so there's green research right 
And then on the desert island, it was a red research and we needed to ship our red research back to island one because uh, we needed to combine it with the green to build something. I think it was a glass smelter. Whereas we were also then automating the shipping of potatoes. Big Potato was sending <laughs> sending their food across the shipping lane. So it was like creating stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, you can basically drag your port from one island to another and it'll just constantly send the ship back and forth shipping stuff, which is really cool. But, um, yeah, I yeah. think from a vibe, it has this really just amazing art style. Um, it, it is slick. The UI is really well designed. It's really welcoming. And, and it feels fun and it feels tactile because these hexes pop up out of the ground as you're exploring the fog of war. And they're not quite meeples, but they feel like meeples a little bit. And um, yeah, I don't know. It just had a really, really good vibe and it has a lot of depth, I can tell. Probably a little bit too much for me, um, but I am definitely one that doesn't play this these sorts of games. So that's fine. Um, but the interesting thing for me is just it has a message. and this is the second game of recent times that I'm or games that I'm playing right now that have a strong environmental catastrophe message. Um, which I think is a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, we're seeing people talk about this stuff. Definitely. People are worried about this stuff. Um, but even though it's non-combative, it does feel like it created this existential thing for me where like, Every time I play something, I have pollution. Like I am physically killing this planet now. Like I am responsible for placing that thing. I am doing mm. the bad thing, right? In 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 mm. life, it's very easy to be like, ah, I'm just one person. Like if I like I don't litter, but let's just say I do. Like if I throw this piece of trash on the ground, I'm just one person. One piece of trash isn't going to hurt. Right, it's very easy to have that mindset. Where in this game, it's like I am literally the one responsible for the downfall of this planet, which is a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying everyone's going to think that. The game is not making me think that. Like it's not telling me to think about that. Yep. But that is what is going no. through my mind while playing it. Um, so super interesting. I think it's fantastic. I think it's been out on Epic for a while now, um, but it just came to Steam last week. And it currently is on sale or at the time of recording, it's on sale for 25% off. <laughs> it is a small indie team from New Zealand. And I think it's their debut game. And it's what, what we've played of it so far. It's pretty stellar. So I'm definitely, Very yeah, solid. I'm going to do a review. It'll be a few weeks, I think, um, just because life is busy and I've got other videos in the pipeline, but uh, I'm going to do a review of this and uh, we're in talks with the developer to do some kind of interview. So um yeah, before we leave, if you're interested in that sort of thing, um, go check it out. We did uh, do a two-hour live stream, Let's Discuss. It was a little bit off topic because we were so brain fried, but I think it was a lot of fun. It was a fun video minus some technical issues. Uh, that's up on YouTube right now, so you can go check that out at youtube.com forward slash pixels for breakfast. Blue, did you play anything this week? I Oh, you wanted to say something? Sorry, that's a I cut you question. off. Oh, no, uh, just with the video... One of the nice things about the pace of that game is, and the reason we went off topic is because it's a nice slow paced game. So it just gave us a lot of opportunity to fill yeah. um, space and air. And I do think we talked about the game. A oh, yeah, we did. We did. I was, I was also tired. At oh, that yeah. Point. That was a, and, and I say that as if I'm not tired now. Like, it's the beginning of the day. I'm already tired. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I feel you. It's been it's been a week, but um, yeah. For anyone who is, oh, I don't know what's wrong with this yeah. week, but yeah. Um, for anyone who is wondering, we are doing a bit more of this long form let's play stuff just because our work schedules are pretty insane, and I think I've talked about it before. But like making a video review is like a forty hour endeavor. Um, and there's a lot of games that I just can't do that for, especially now I can't do that for. So this is just a way for mm. us to try and spread some of that indie love um, in a way. And I know that it's not as tight uh, or for some people as interesting as the, the short eight minute videos, but uh, you know, it's, we're doing what we can. Um, so would appreciate some views on that. It does help the channel, especially cause they're longer videos. It does uh, also help our engagement rate, which is what helps the YouTube algorithm basically. Um, so yeah, just explaining. Did you that. hear that that's swinging the other way now? Oh, is it? The YouTube uh, algorithm, yeah, the YouTube algorithm is um, swinging towards the short TikTok length videos uh, now because right. YouTube is always afraid of competitors. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, so I gotta make. You know, in 2010, it killed. Yeah, in 2010, it killed anything under 10 yeah. minutes, and now it's just frustrating. So the channel's dead. For every the channel's dead. The so please help us. Please save us. Um, <laughs> no, but like we are very aware that this is not, uh, you know, the content that. Um, like, I'm still proud of this content, don't get me wrong, I really like it, um, but it's definitely not the the aim of the channel, so we will get back to the regular reviews once things calm down, I promise. Um, but yeah, anyway. The underlying goal mm. is still always to at least try to say something interesting about something. Yeah. That's always the underlying I, goal. Mm. And in, in most cases, that'll be, hopefully, a game that won't get as much coverage. As yeah. Well. And it's also like... Uh, like we've been thinking about this a lot, like the the Twitch streams have been fun and all, but it's also very like Twitch has a, a vibe and the stuff that Blue and I are trying to do where we are talking about a game mostly don't doesn't really fit in with the PogChamp in, in chat vibe. It just doesn't. So it kind of makes sense for the YouTube thing. So um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited where we could take it. I also think as a consumer, especially because there are so many games out there, seeing what the first hour of a game is like is pretty valuable. Right, like it is because I feel like for ninety nine percent of games, that first two hours is not going to spoil your experience, but it's going to give you just enough to know where the game is going next, so you can be like, "Yeah, I'm into that." Um, I feel like in the first two hours, I know if I want to play a game through to completion. Right, um, so hopefully, I yeah. I have one hundred percent made decisions of whether or not I want to play a game based on watching a content creator I like. Yeah open with it and it'll be a game i've never heard of prior or wasn't looking at prior yeah for example uh it takes two i watched like yeah about an opening hour of it and i'm just like i'm gonna stop watching this now it's a full playthrough eventually across multiple yeah. videos but i was just like i'm gonna stop watching this now because one day i'd like to get into this relatively blind mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah so so good. yeah hopefully you enjoy it but anyway blue did you play anything this week that you want to talk about that's a loaded question how dare oh. you i think i did i think i played some astroneer a bit more astroneer mm -hmm. that's fun i think i played a just a dash of killing floor two nice nice um nothing new i didn't play anything new i played a bit more just runeterra messing around with um the labs stuff oh, how is that uh, i've been too scared i played the single player yeah there's a single player like deck building not roguelike the 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 encounters are always mm -hmm. the same but there's a single player like nine fight deck builder thing where you get to do absurd things uh, -huh. uh that's, that's fun. cool um 
played a bit more Battlegrounds. A big patch dropped at some point, and that you know Quillbores, the piggies no longer hold supremacy. They're still very mm-hmm. good, but um, bacon is now as good as everything else, as opposed to being just your ticket to victory. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's I, I've had some good gaming things. I've got to play a bit more Devil May Cry four. Oh, for uh, mm-hmm. games, games, games. Yeah, um, and that's always a good time. I love that game. Uh, absolutely adore that game. So I don't know, N- nothing like super exciting, but things that make me happy. That's good. That's good. Remember that time that I beat the yeah. boss first time ever playing a Devil May Cry game? You did really yeah, well. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, let's let's plug that show. So we have launched a new show. Uh, the first one was on Twitch, but we've moved everything to YouTube now. So. Uh, on Thursdays, knock on wood, nearly every Thursday, hopefully, uh, we have launched a new show called Games, 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 and it's a show where Blue, myself, and uh, Rowan from the Platforms and Pitfalls podcast, who's also here on the Pixels Breakfast Network, uh, we just do a hopefully feel-good show where we just catch up, um, and we're playing games while we catch up. Uh, so it's not specifically you know, game design, although we do spend a lot of time talking about that, um, you know, but we're just catching up because, you know, it's pandemic times. We all, well, Rowan and I are in the same country, but he's on the other end of the country and Blue's in a different country. So it's a good chance for us to sort of catch up. And we figure, you know, in these times, people probably need a place to do that. Uh, and the idea is basically we bring a, a different game to the table for each of us. So it's three games across roughly three hours. And uh, there's a lot of technical wizardry to make it happen. Um, Parsec, thank you so much for existence. Um, but yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we're slowly developing it into something. This one will be on YouTube. And obviously, uh, if you are not, you're not going to be there for this by the time you hear this podcast, but it's up as an archive. So you can go watch that and hopefully join us live for the next yeah. one. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's going to be cool. We've got three very different games tonight. Um, so it's going to be a lot of, gonna yeah. be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, go check that out. Games, games, games on the Pixels of Breakfast YouTube. Uh, I also do want to do a big shout out, um, hopefully. Uh, so uh, Mini Boss, who does all of the theme music for the podcast, for our streams, uh, any of the original Pixels of Breakfast music you hear on the reviews sometimes, all of that comes from Mini Boss. He's done that free of charge. I've offered to pay. He, I told him to wait till I had some money. He just did it anyway. Uh, he listens to the podcast every week, apparently, actually enjoys it, but hates the audio quality because he's an audio engineer. So he has uh, developed a whole bunch of presets and set me up with a new editing software. I don't know how that's going to go for this edit, uh, but if the podcast sounds better, thank you so much, Mini Boss. And even if it doesn't, thank you so much for the time. Uh, Blue, if it sounds worse, it's probably Steve's fault. Yeah, it's 100% my fault. Blue, you are right. Uh, so when I told Blue that you had done this, uh, mini boss, he's like, ah, so the old adage is true. Do something bad enough that an expert wants to fix it or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically. He said to me, unprompted Blue that, well, this is kind of self-serving because I listened to the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you're, you're both right. You're both true. Um, but it is out of the goodness of his heart, but also yeah. just to, I don't have a good speaking voice and it's. I understand, Anders. I understand. It's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you so much, Anders. Really, really do appreciate it. And thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, you know, I know there are some of you that are listening every week. 
but yeah, if you uh, could do us a favor, if you are listening on an Apple device, please leave us a review in the App Store. If you're not listening on an Apple device, please uh, try and just share the show to, to a friend. Uh, we'd like to see this continue to grow. And uh, make sure you join our Discord. Um, that's on the Pixels of Breakfast website, pixelsbreakfast.net. Make sure you join our Discord. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube and uh, hopefully get involved in our community because I think that's what makes this uh, operation really special is we have a really good community. Touch on, knock on wood. We have a really good community. So um, I think that's all I've got to say, Blue. We, wait, wait, wait. We, I know I know. we said this is going to be a short one, but I need redemption because last <laughs> week you just sprung it on me and I had no answer. Uh-huh. Uh, platforms for and pitfalls episode went out on the 15th of may so this is still relevant this is just the week after yep, and you yep, asked correct. me what it was and i could not tell you <laughs> i can tell you now the episode is on crossover of mechanics and that was really fun because we got to talk about five games that were effectively at least two franchises each and that was super cool and i got to talk about fighting games Yes, listening and, to uh, Blue uh, describe time. the mechanics of a fighting game of one person is on the left side and one person's on the right side and you hit each other was fantastic. I loved it. I loved it. You have no idea how bad Rowan and I are at describing fighting games at an accessible <laughs> level. Because yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like that seems like so obvious to you because you've seen a fighting game before. But trying to explain a fighting game to someone who has no idea what a fighting game is, it's oh, not yeah. like... <laughs> You have a Mario and you have a Luigi. <laughs> yeah. And then they don't like each other today. <laughs> like, I was about to say, outside of probably Mario, describing any video game is actually really hard. Um, that's something we talked yeah. about in the, uh, the uh, before we leave stream, just the language of video yeah. game. Anyway, that's a whole thing. Let's not it get is. onto that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway Blue, is there anything um, else you would like to say before we sign off? Oh, this is the, this is, you're at the Oscars and then they play the music to get you to walk off the stage. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, The world, as of recently especially, kind of rough out there. So maybe, maybe instead of just generally be kind to someone, be kind to people, pick someone, pick on them, and be nice to them. Yeah, that's that's a good advice. Go do something good this week. Go do something good this week, and let us know what it was if you want at Pixels Breakfast on Twitter or in our Discord. Anyway. As always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast. Pixel of Breakfast.